You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey everybody, it's good to see you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm lead pastor here at Midtown, and I am uh, doing something I've never done before. I'm a uh, I'm preaching from Colorado. Uh, my family uh, got to go to Colorado and stay with uh, through the generosity of some really kind friends. Stay at stay at a a place in Crested Butte for this week, and so we we're really uh, we got here yesterday. We're real excited about being here, but um. Hopefully the technology will hold up and we'll be able to uh, start the book of Ephesians today. If you're visiting with us, uh, uh, we just are so glad that you're with us. You picked a great Sunday to join us because we are kicking off a brand new uh, sermon series today. So you're getting in at the very beginning. So that's that's great. And this series, like I said, is from the book of Ephesians and we're calling it uh, The Gospel and. The Gospel and because... In the book of Ephesians, we are given great insight into how the gospel, like the good news of Jesus, has a profound implications for our lives now, not just the life to come. All right. So as we study Ephesians together, we're going to hit on topics like the, the gospel and purpose, and the gospel and race, the gospel and politics, the gospel and unity. And today we're going to begin with the gospel and identity. And I'll tell you, I've really been looking forward uh, to uh, this message today because uh, who we think we are, like how we perceive ourselves, greatly impacts what we do, both day to day and in, over the course of our life, and who we think we are, how we perceive ourselves, greatly impacts um, our view of our own worth or, or value. And so it's extremely important that we know who we are. But how do we determine that? Uh, Henry Nouwen, uh, the late Dutch Catholic priest, famously observed that, the, that most of us determine who we are based on at least one, if not more, of these statements. Uh, I am what I do. Or you could add to that, I am how well I do what I do. Or second statement is, I am what I have. And Henry Nowen would include in that not just possessions, but relationships. So I have a wife or I have kids or I have a boyfriend or whatever, or I have these possessions. That's what defines me. Or I am what people say about me. And I'll tell you, I have personally bought into every one of those statements at one point or another. Chances are you have too, uh, because they are really powerful and uh, convincing. However, there are two problems with these ideas. First problem is that the identity and the sense of worth that they offer is extremely fragile. Right? Because if I am what I do, but then I lose my job, then who am I? Or if I am what I have, but that relationship I'm in goes sideways, or that thing that I have goes out of fashion, or someone gets a better thing, then who am I? Or if I am what people say about me, then I am enslaved to the constantly changing opinions of others. And that is a really big problem because so much of our emotional stability and mental health is tied to our sense of identity 
and personal value or worth? And do you really want to let such fragile sources determine your identity and your sense of worth? See, that's a big problem. The other reason these statements that uh, now one put, put out for us, uh, the reason that they're a big problem is because, uh, to put it bluntly, they're all lies. They're all lies. Friends, hear this. You are not what you do. You're not. You are not what you have. And you are not what people say about you. Your identity and your worth were never meant to be determined by those things. Instead, we were made to find our identity and understand our worth and what God has done for us and what we have in him and what he says about us. But if we don't realize what he has done for us and what we have in him and what he says about us, then we will naturally look elsewhere to find out who we are and to try to estimate our own worth and significance. And that will cause us to turn to these fragile, enslaving lies that can never truly tell us who we are. And so this morning, as we begin the book of Ephesians together, my prayer is that you will truly listen to what God says, to who God says you are. Because, friends, he knows, and he wants you to know. And so let's jump into this. We're going to begin Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, right here from the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop there because usually we cover some historical context whenever we begin teaching through a book of the Bible, but uh, we're going to make you wait for a lot of that until next week <laughs> because um, this passage is just so rich. I want to give as much time as I, as I can to helping you hear what it means for you. So for now, all I'm going to do is just point out a couple, a couple things. One that is widely held that the Apostle Paul authored the letter of Ephesians around 62 AD while he was under house arrest in Rome. And one of the reasons that he wrote to the church in Ephesus is because he helped start this church about 10 years prior. And he was deeply committed to helping them grow in their understanding of the gospel and its implications, including how it should inform their identity. And so after the introduction, Paul launches into one of the most famous and longest sentences in the Bible, 202-word sentence that stretches from verse 3 through 14. And so that's what we're going to cover today. And here's how he, it begins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, let me stop there uh, because everything Paul's about to say next hinges on this verse. For he's about to just praise God for the many ways that God has blessed us in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, is extremely significant. In fact, it's so significant that Paul uses this phrase or derivative of it 27 times in the book of Ephesians. Like he's just over and over and over again all about being in Christ. So what does, what does that mean? Well, at the risk of oversimplifying it, being in Christ means to be spiritually united to 
and identified with Christ in such a way that all the blessings and all the benefits obtained by Jesus belong to you. God says, you assume the position, the resume, the righteousness of Jesus. Meaning Jesus went to the cross for you to take your place so that we could take his place. Where every spiritual blessing that rightfully belongs to Jesus is now also ours fully because we're in Christ. And that's an amazing thing. Paul says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is ours in Christ. To which you might want to say, okay, well then what, let's get specific, Paul. What, what does that mean? What are some of these spiritual blessings? And so Paul, it's as if he knows that that's what's the question that we would be thinking. He, he, just, starts, he just starts listing them out. He starts uh, explaining them for us. And, and, and again, remember, all of these blessings, they come to us as a result of what God has done for us. This is where our, we get our identity. And what we have in Christ and what God says about us. So Paul starts explaining what that means for us. And in verse four, he says it this way, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now friends, oh, this is an amazing statement. Because you know what this means? It means uh, that you were on God's mind and in his plan before you even existed before the creation of the world. Uh, it means God chose you, that the creator of the universe wanted you. See, many, many of us, unless uh, we were superstars when we were kids, understand the feeling of being one of the uh, last picks on the playground. Uh, I love how Garrison Keillor captures this. He writes, uh, the captains are down to the last begrudging choices. A slow kid for catcher. Someone to stick out in right field where no one hits it. They choose some of us two at a time, you and you, uh, because it makes no difference. Then the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess, they deal for us as handicaps. I'll take him, but you've got to take him, they say. Sometimes I go as high as sixth, but usually lower. But just once, I'd like to be picked first. To hear one say, I want him. I want him, the skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes. I want him. Come on, you're with me. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. Friends, hear this. God chose you with enthusiasm. You were chosen by God. God wanted you. Do you believe that? That the creator of the universe wanted you to be his. Friends, are you letting that determine your value? Do you believe that? So that's the first blessing that Paul talks about, what it means to be in Christ. But he goes on. 
doesn't stop there. For Paul also says here that not only did God choose you, but in choosing you, he has made you to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, how is that possible, right? Because we don't feel this, do we? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling real holy and blameless uh, before God very often. So what does this even mean? How can this be who we are in God's eyes? Well, the reason that this is a reality is not because of what you or I have done, but it's entirely based on what Jesus has done for us. That's where we find our identity, not what we do, but what God has done for us. And positionally, if you are in Christ, then that means that you stand in Christ's place with his perfect resume counting for you. And that's what makes you holy and blameless. Now, friends, listen closely in case you've been tuning out, right? What I'm describing here, being in Christ, it's not some Jedi mind trick that you and I are able to pull off on God. It's not like the real you is actually unholy and full of blame, but you've put on the invisibility cloak of Jesus so that God doesn't actually see who you are. He's and sinful. Now, just, just want to call out that I just used a Star Wars and a Harry Potter reference all in this one metaphor. So that, you know, I just thought that was worth pointing out. <laughs> but it's not like that, okay? Instead, it's like this. You were, as I was, unholy and completely blameworthy. But God, in Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection, and your faith in him, has made you a new person. That You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The old is gone, the new has come. That he has changed who you are, and now you really are holy and blameless. That's who you are now in Christ. You're a new creation. Yes, you still sin. I still sin. Yes, you will still continue to sin in this life. However, that is not who you are in essence any longer. You are not what you have done you are not a sinner in identity. In Christ, you are a saint. You are holy and blameless. That's your identity. That's who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. He traded places with us and suffered our condemnation, and we instead received his righteousness. He has taken upon himself our unholiness, and he has given us his holiness. He's taken our blame, and he's made us blameless. And friends, here's how that changes things. If you know that this is who you truly are, that you're a new creation, then that changes your activity and the decisions that you make. For if you, if you, for if your primary identity is a sinner and you're tempted to sin, your identity will determine your activity. I'm a sinner. I guess, I guess I just got to give into this. But friends, no, that is not who you are. And so you say to yourself, I am in Christ and therefore I am holy. I do not have to sin. I am a new creation. I don't have to go back to my old ways. See, I want you to hear this. You, you don't have to be stuck. And I don't want you to get stuck in the trap of I can't change 
or even in the trap of I can change myself. Instead, I want you to know, God wants you to know, you have been changed in Christ, and therefore you can have victory over sin. Now, how can that be? Well, it's because in love, he, meaning God the Father, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In other words, this is who we are, not because we did something to deserve it, but simply because of God's great and unconditional love for us. Now, real quick, I, I know that these concepts of being chosen and being predestined can raise all kinds of questions for us. And I'll tell you, I would re be really happy to interact with you about the theology of all that. If you would like, you can email me, you text me, and we can, we can talk about that. You can put it in the chat box that you want to talk, and I'll follow up with you after I get done with vacation. Uh, but uh, what I want to make sure that you don't miss, and I just don't want to get off in the weeds of the mystery of all that right now, because what I want to make sure you hear is what I think Paul wanted to make sure his original audience heard, and that is this. Hear this. Our identity is the result of God's initiating activity. We are who we are as a result of what God has done, not what we have done. When we have, what we have in Christ was given to us freely by God. It was not earned by us. He is the initiator. And praise God for his glorious grace that he is. For as a result of his initiating love and grace, God has adopted you into his family. Again, to read the verse, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, meaning it brought God pleasure to adopt you into his family, to make you his son or his daughter. This is one of the most powerful truths in all of scripture. I mean, it just blows me away. God taught me so much about how amazing this is through our adoption of Enoch. Our adoption process took almost uh, two years. For about 20 months, we didn't even know who we were adopting. We knew the child was going to be a boy, five years old or younger, uh, from Uganda. But that's all, that's all we knew. And so we called him Baby U. Eh, for lack of a better name. So that's how we would pray for him. We'd always pray for baby you. And, and, and we began just really longing for him to be a part of our family, even though we had never met him. And friends, before we even met him, we loved him. And when I say we loved him, I don't just mean like emotionally, though that was there, but yet we had never met him. Now, I mean, we loved him in the sense of what love is according to Jesus, in a sacrificial, voluntary, go out of our way to put his interests ahead of our own, costing us a lot of time and a lot of money, and yet we were happy to do it full of joy. It was our pleasure. It was according to our pleasure and will. We loved this kid, and we longed for him to be a part of our family. 
even before we met him, which means he had not done a single thing to warrant our love or to earn our love. We loved him because we loved him. It was our pleasure to love him. Finally, after 20 months, we get an email from our adoption agency. And so camp, and we know that this is our, our match, right? We're going to see who we're adopting, who baby you is. So we get uh, Krista and I around my computer and camp, who's two and a half years old at the time, sitting on my lap. And we click this email and up pops a picture of Enoch. And camp says, or I say to camp, camp, that's your brother. That's baby you. And two and a half year old camp says, and I'm not kidding. He says, that's baby you. I love him. And we all did. Already. Soon we would go to Uganda and we would adopt Enoch and in adopting him, he legally and relationally became a part of our family. He is a box. Friends, God has done that with you if you're in Christ. You have been adopted by God. Before you did anything to deserve it, God had already planned to adopt you into his family. Why? Because he wanted to, in love according to his pleasure and will. And as a result, you are legally, positionally, relationally his beloved child, his son or daughter. That is who you are. See, many of us really struggle to feel God's love for us. We hear about it, we sing about it, but we just don't really feel it. Some of you don't even think that God likes you, let alone loves you. That our view of God, he walks around frustrated with us, just tolerating us, or that he just wants to use us. But friends, you, you'll be stuck there if you never truly feel the fullness and the depth of God's love, and which you won't understand until you understand the kind of love with which he has loved you. It's more than a general love, and it's more than a feeling. It's not just God loves the whole world kind of love, and it's not just an, an emotional kind of love. It's a specific love that sacrificed on your behalf to make you someone new and brought into his family. It's a perfect kind of love. It's the kind of love that a perfect dad has for his child. It's a... I love you because you are mine, a never stopping, unconditional, no matter what, forever and ever to the full extent of my being kind of love. That's how he loves you. Now, what does that mean for us? What does our adoption mean for us? It means so much. But let me just mention two things quickly. One, it means that you have access to God the Father. Like imagine, I've heard Tim Keller use this illustration, I'm going to steal it, but imagine if your dad is the president. If anyone has to get an appointment to see the president, they're stopped. And if anyone runs towards the president, they'd be shot, <laughs> right? But if you are his child, then you can see him without an appointment 
and you can run into his arms. Why? Because you're his child and he's your father. And friends, because of Christ, you have that kind of access to God the Father. That's what your adoption means. Second thing it means is that you also have an inheritance. See, some might think, hey, it's unfortunate Paul says adoption as sons here and not like the adoption of sons and daughters. Like it, it's a sexist statement. But I want you to see that's it's actually completely the opposite. See, what Paul was saying uh, is something that broke all of the gender distinctions of his day. Because in that day, the family line and the inheritance and all the blessing came through the male line with women never receiving an inheritance. But Paul is saying, God has adopted all of us, men and women, and made us like sons in that we all get full rights to the Father's inheritance, full family blessing. This, friends, is extremely inclusive. We're fully adopted, and we get a full inheritance. So let me say this. If you're in Christ, you're adopted into the family of God, which means you have a father named God who loves you. You have a father named God who listens to you. You have a father named God who provides for you. And I want you to relate to him and talk to him in that way. See, we think God has all these rules that when we mess up, he's mad at us, but he took our sin away from us on the cross, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. You are holy and blameless in him. You are his son. You are his daughter. He doesn't just tolerate you. He absolutely delights in you. You are his beloved child. That is who you are because of what he has done. No wonder Paul begins this whole, whole thing with the sentence, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder throughout it he repeats the phrase, to his praise of his glorious grace, of course. Yes, to his praise, amen and amen. But as amazing as all that is, Paul's not done spelling out how God has blessed us in Christ. So he goes on to say that in Christ, God has redeemed you. Starting in verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his, Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to what? His good pleasure is his joy, which he has purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Meaning, friends, this was not done begrudgingly with his hand, forced because of our sin. No, it was according to his good pleasure. He chose to lavish his grace upon you to redeem you and to forgive you. And this idea of redemption is so rich. I mean, it's a loaded word. We usually think it means that he has paid the debt of my sin. And it does mean that, but it actually means even more. It literally means God has paid our ransom. Not just that Jesus has paid our debt, but that he has also released us out of captivity. That in Christ, you and I are liberated. We are set free. And finally, the fifth blessing that Paul mentions here 
is that God has secured you or that he has sealed you in Christ. Here's how he put it, starting in verse 11. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, listen to this word, guaranteeing our inheritance, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In Paul's day, people would affix a personal seal to a possession to signify that it belonged to them. And so here Paul takes that imagery, he applies it to what God has done for us when he placed the Holy Spirit within us. The third person of the Trinity is our seal, securing us, declaring that person belongs to me. She's mine. He's mine. We are his. You are his. If you've placed your faith in Christ, meaning that's nothing, 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 nothing you can do to lose the blessings we have in Christ. For what does he say here? This spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. See, what he says is once you receive the Holy Spirit, you are marked and sealed as God's very own. He causes you to be born again with a new nature, as a new person, and a new identity, and a new power. And that's only the beginning, for he will keep you to the very end. You are his. Say it to yourself, friends. Say it to yourself right now. I am his. I am his. Forever, I am his. See, friends, we all want to know who we are and if we are valuable. Apart from Christ, we're left to determine the answers to those questions based on what we do and how well we do it, or what we have, or by listening to what others say about us. But friends, we were made to have those questions answered by what God has done. What each member of the Trinity has done for us, and that's one of the beautiful parts of this whole passage, is talks about what the Father's done for us and what the Son has done for us and what the Spirit has done for us, what God has done for us, makes us who we are. This question is answered by what God has done for us and what we have in Christ and what God says about us. And here's what God says about you. In Christ, you're so valuable to me that I chose you and I made you new, holy and blameless, and I adopted you. You're my beloved child, and I redeemed you, I set you free, and I sealed you, I secured you. You are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. That is who God says you are in Christ. And friends, if you are not in Christ, then I want you to hear this. That's who you can become today. See, the only thing you must do, the only thing, the only part that we have to play in becoming who God says we are is to simply trust that this is what God has done for us. It's by simple faith 
and what God has done for you that Jesus, that in Jesus, that all of this becomes true of you. And friends, you can do that now. Like there are no magic words and there's nothing else that we have to do. We don't have to jump through any hoops. We just believe that it's like receiving a gift. It's just saying, okay, God, you've done this for me. I receive that. I believe it. Just tell God that you believe that Jesus took your place on the cross so that you could be redeemed and adopted into his family. You do that, friends, then listen and hear him say, you are mine. You are my beloved child. That's who you are. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you. We praise you that this is what you have done for us. When we didn't deserve it, God, even before we even existed to try to deserve it. God, you, you have in your, according to your pleasure, as wild as that is, it's your pleasure to make us your sons and daughters, to redeem us, to make us holy and blameless in you. God, you want us to be yours. It's incredible. God, we do, we praise you. And God, we do also ask of you to help us believe this. God, keep us from tuning our ears to what uh, we just seem to, 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 to drift towards, thinking that our identity is based on what we do or how well we do it or what we have or what others say about us. God, instead, help us tune our ears every day to what you say about us. Let the gospel inform our identity and, are, and, and confirm that we are truly valuable because the God of the universe says so. God, we love you. We're so thankful for Jesus who loved us so much that he died for us that we could be brought in. We give you praise, God, and we look forward to praising you now in song. You deserve this praise. May it be just the beginning of our praise for you this whole week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.